Okay, so I had, I told you about the United Nations Dungeons and Dragons game. No. Okay, so I had this game that I called the United Nations uh, Dungeons and Dragons game, and I played it when I was an expat teacher in China. Okay. And in the game group were um, Sonny and Mark, my two Chinese friends, um, and also Zoli, my Hungarian friend, and Tom, my Australian friend, and Paul, my uh, British friend. He was from the North. Gotcha. So it was a very, very distinct accent that you, I don't think you see a lot of that on BBC dramas, maybe, maybe more now than back in the day, but um, we always like to say there were free things that Paul did not like because Paul was from the North. So those mm. free things. Um, yeah, it was great. Uh, he did not put on a shitty American accent. Huh. Um, Zoli though, uh, short for Zoltan, uh, he, he was playing a Goliath who spoke giantish and we were playing in 4E. So his thing is whenever I'm bloodied, I will only speak giantish. So whenever he would hit the bloodied condition, for those of you who never played 4E Dungeons and Dragons, that's half hit points or less. He'd just start swearing in Hungarian and I'll be damned if it didn't sound like a giant. <laughs> Welcome to the Jaunty Mantis podcast. This is a podcast about creative questions for curious gamers. And as always, I have with me my lovely co-host, Jesse Sauer. Jesse, how have you been this week? Uh, I have been good. We got new carpet. Oh, new carpet. Does it have that new carpet smell? It does have that new carpet smell. It I love doesn't smell, smell like dog pee upstairs anymore. And I'm very excited about that. That's awesome. How about you, know, you, my illustrious co-host, Maddie? Yeah, I am the other host of this illustrious podcast. I we just used the word illustrious twice. My name. Well, is... we're trying to illustrate a point there. What's the point? That we have a uh, luster, uh, like we <laughs> uh, sleep in gel beds made of Pantene Pro V, and we are shiny and healthy. That reminds me of those uh, sleep deprivation pods. Are they sleep deprivation pods? No, sensory deprivation pods. Have you ever heard of that? I have. The like the salt water neutral temperature, totally dark. Yeah. I just used to swap have a... it out with Pantene Pro V instead of salt water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used to have a friend that did that, the salt water version, and they would do a little bit of drugs. They would like microdose and then get in one of those things. And I was they would describe the entire process like as they were waiting for the drugs to take effect and what it was like. And I was like, I'm going to have to stop you because just the part where you got into it and they close it on you has already freaked me the fuck out. And I don't <laughs> want to do this. <laughs> I feel like I don't need to. I don't need one. Yeah. Like I can just go real deep in my own head whenever. That's like my talent. So be it. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of gamers have those kind of talents. I think that's, that's uh, one of the useful aspects of having... Uh, a, a really good imagination and the ability to use it. 
that was a much kinder way than I was going to phrase it because oh. mine would be like that, you know, it's a side effect of spending thousands of dollars to live <laughs> in elaborately constructed fantasy worlds where you uh, do nothing productive for society most of the time. Well, I would agree with that too. And I've been trying to do more of that because what I realized I've been doing over the last couple of years is just putting myself in podcast or music mode. So I'll always have headphones or pods in my ears. And then I will just be constantly, I couldn't remember, couldn't tell you what the last three podcasts were about. I don't remember. They're just creating noise for me to ignore. And so recently I've just been not doing that, not listening to any music or podcasts while I drive, not listening to anything while I work, not listening to anything while I'll go on a walk, just alone with my thoughts, hour after hour, minute after minute, second after second. Why did I decide to do this? I can't focus. I Are we doing ASMR now? <laughs> you know, I'm trying to give you something else besides that. What did you call it? The light jazz voice? Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. We, before we hit record, I was talking, we were talking, have a little production meeting. And I mentioned that uh, Maddie's previous experience as a podcaster for his work has left our intros maybe a touch more formal than I would have done. But but who knows if you're still picking up on this whenever this episode airs in our rotation. Yeah. Good listener at home. In the far off future, when everyone else has either signed on for good or abandoned us altogether. And still we will record one last bastion <laughs> to know that the works of men endure. That's right. And let's talk about such works because I think our topic today deserves some time. And that is, what are we calling this? Like it's a play on the old Tinker Taylor soldier spy. We're calling it. What is it? Caller it mapper quartermaster <laughs> scribe. Yeah. Caller mapper quartermaster scribe. So what is our creative question? Uh, do you still need those roles? Mm hmm. I think sub question, are those roles still uh, like written about in how to run the game, like mm -hmm. sections of role playing game books? Um, and if they're not, should we then use these things from the old school? So. Um, OK, can I describe it for our listeners? Yes. If oh, please do. So. Uh, I just belched into the microphone. Hello, listeners. I'm talking to you directly now in case you're Happy unfamiliar. Happy Jack style. Yes. Uh, in, I think, I believe D&D &D Basic and possibly First Edition, my knowledge of First Edition is mostly that of a nine-year-old kid looking at pictures in the Fiend Folio, so I might mess up some rules from there. Um, but there was an official section in the rules about player roles and responsibilities. And one of those was the caller, the intention being that I think back then people would play with groups of eight, nine, ten players, mm -hmm. and the caller was sort of an assistant DM. The DM would narrate the decision tree and say, what do you do? And then the caller would collect consensus from the party and then tell the dungeon master, he's doing this, I'm doing this, he's doing this. Mm -hmm. So that was the caller's role. Um, and the mapper was the one who was having to create a, their own version of the map uh from you know from the description of the dungeon master which could be useful uh if you had to exfiltrate the dungeon because mm -hmm. there, there's a very different play cycle in the game this was designed for with 
Like there are there are combat turns, but there's also a dungeon turn of 10 minutes that has to do with random encounters and the possibility of torches going out. And um, it's a really kind of to me, it's a fun if you can get out of your head with the rules, sort of survival horror way to play right. uh, role playing games. And it's something the OSR has brought roaring back to life for a lot of people. Um, cool, cool, cool. What about the, the quartermaster? Uh, I think we just made that up to make the Tinker Tinker Soldier smile. <laughs> uh, I mean, unofficially, it's the person. There's always a person in the group who writes the loot down, and hopefully, they're honest. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Scribe is the note taker, who, um, you know, at the risk of getting into uh, like uh, Twitter or a TikTok meme <laughs> about the gamer types, uh, Scribe would be the person who records. You are serving as the scribe for one of our games, right? I now, am. Right? I am. Yeah. And I, I don't like it and I don't want to do it. And I don't think anybody else does. Um, but I do want to, I do want to mention that all four of these roles were used in my original, you know, uh, second edition game back when I was a kid, we definitely use these roles. You had a caller because, um, the DM needed one voice in certain situations because otherwise people were sitting there going, I don't know what to do. What, what do you guys do? Fireball? Should we just throw a fireball? What do we, what we do? So in my old group, the caller was more of the leader and they could make split second decisions for the party. And um, if, if any of us ever had a problem with that, then we would have like a committee meeting inside of the dungeon, which was always hilarious. <laughs> and, but that rarely ever happened. The mapper, you know, it was a part of our game that you needed to get things done uh, right in the mapping area in order to not get lost in the dungeon. That was a very real problem that could happen. The DMs of yesterday used to make these elaborate, you know, dungeon crawls with like every hallway was a multi-sectioned, you know, left, right, continue kind of scenario. Like it was madness. The quartermaster, we always made sure that the person who wasn't the thief was the quartermaster because, of course, the thief could never be trusted. Yeah, you can't trust them at all. Yeah, we usually made the paladin or the cleric be the quartermaster. And then the scribe, we definitely had it just so we could keep track every week. I'm the scribe, as we mentioned, for our one of our current games, but we're running two different campaigns and two different systems. And I'm scribing for a 5e game and we kind of need the scribe because we alternate weeks for these games so of course nobody's going to remember what happened but i'm i don't even know if we need the scribe at all if the dm is willing to just put together some notes on this is what we did this is what happened small paragraph that's probably good enough what do you think yeah, I mean, and that's a thing that I just did after our session of the game I run last night, the Age of Sigmar Soulbound game. Um, and I was sort of like, uh, I'm mad <laughs> that I have to do this. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, but but then, you know, the other thing I'm thinking, too, is like, if I'm mad that I, I have to do this, maybe the complexity of this investigation is... <laughs> A little much maybe i decide it's a super high fantasy world and you know like you're Mm -hmm. you know crazy super powerful characters and then they're like and now you're investigating a crime (laughs) like maybe that wasn't the fit for the 
I came in late to this game um, because I took a brief uh, uh, break from the group because of my work schedule. And my question is, did we have a session zero for your game? Um, Was the nature of the game described to the group? And of course they agreed to it, right? We were, were you like, Hey guys, I want to run a age of Sigmar game. There's going to be intrigue. We're going to need a scribe to keep track of things. Like I did not say that because I don't think at the time I had read that far in the adventure that I'm running. So uh, it would have been helpful if I had. Um, mm-hmm. We did have a session zero, though, where everybody made their characters and kind of talked about the tone of the campaign and Anvil mm-hmm. Guard and the place where it was and what I wanted to do and um, what a soul binding is. But mm-hmm. And my question is, do you th- uh, like, okay, so if you had somebody perfectly scribing that game, do you think it would be helping it every time we do it every time we play yeah because we're jumping into the next stage of the investigation and nobody remembers what the clue was from last time that prompted this so they don't (laughs) know what questions to ask like yeah okay i mean i feel like your game oh so all right so the difference between the two games is one of them is definitely a pointed intrigue game that has a a few moving parts and important things to keep track of and an overall um an overall plot that's moving in the background that the player characters are involved in and then the other one in which i am described for is a 5e game and it's much more of a sandbox game it's much more of a like you know we wandered over to this part of this coastal town and found out somebody needed us to you know, kill the rats in their basement. And we found out those rats were actually, you know, were rats, you know, and that's, that's the rest of the, you know, couple of nights, couple of sessions of play. So I would almost argue that because of the nature of the sandbox game, maybe we don't need a scribe in that game. Like, and, and we do need a scribe in the age of Sigmar game. Does the style of game suggest that? What do you think? Yeah, I think, I would say that sandbox play that's very player driven probably doesn't need as much of a scribe, like Mm -hmm. a verbal, Hey, who wants to do a quick recap? And people just say what they remember we did last week probably works pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also a much, I think less period of time passing in the, in the five E game that we're playing Mm -hmm. Um, for an investigation game like this. And I don't normally run investigation games. So this Mm -hmm. is getting some new chops. Um, I think we do. We do need a scribe. Yeah. Um, one of the things too, uh, you know, running, okay. I'm going to shift topics on scribe if that's cool with you. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, mapper mm-hmm. mapper. Um, I don't think people who started playing recently really do that by default or know that's a thing. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And uh, it's interesting. I think that's one of the reasons why people. Well, okay. With my players who I've taught how to play and who are now veteran players, because I've been playing with them six, seven years, you know, but I, I taught them how to play proper um, or ran their first D and D games for them or first game. They played more than one session. Cause like, you know, somebody's 
boyfriend invited them to play or something. I don't know. Like, uh, they don't, I don't think they really care very much for dungeon crawl. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because they don't map. Interesting. They don't, they don't want to map. And, uh, when we've done things in dungeon crawl and 5e, I don't think it yields itself to that survival aspect of play, Mm -hmm. which now I'm not going to tell someone to be the mapper, but they're about to go into the dungeon below the moat house in the, in the first, the village of Hamlet, the first part of the temple Mm. of elemental evil classic. They've just breached that part. And like, I've got a notebook and I'm tracking like I'm it's fun. I'm tracking 10 minute exploration turns in the dungeon. And Mm -hmm. now that they're down in the part where sunlight doesn't reach, I'm like, and your light spell goes out. Mm-hmm. It's now pitch dark. Oh, well, we got to get out of here and get another torch. Okay. Well, you see these <laughs> doors. <laughs> but doesn't that essentially make the game better? Or are we just biased because we're fucking grognards? I think it makes a dungeon crawl better. Okay. But for other style, like a node crawl or like an urban game. What's a node crawl? So a node crawl is like basically like a it's a way to handle overland travel. I first read about it on uh, the Alexandrian, um, Jason Alexander, Justin Alexander, uh, George from Seinfeld. I get it. Yeah, no, not that guy. Um, but uh, yeah, Ale- the Alexandrian dot net. I'll get it in the show notes uh, mm-hmm. if, for this one. Um, it's basically like you have a choice of nodes in overland travel, like you the. It mirrors the dungeon, but it's a point of interest in a wilderness travel map. Okay. So you don't necessarily need a map because if you visualize it, it's like there's a circle that's your starting point and there's two lines going from that. And each one of those is a cool place you can go, a path you can follow. Okay. It's something I think you should definitely look up and steal for the railroad game you're writing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, And yeah, so that's a node crawl. And then sometimes the paths will intersect and you can have Mm -hmm. a little encounter there or something. Um, But I feel like a mapper could be useful in, in a, I, I, I wanted to say intrigue game, but in the sense of like a localized event game, like let's say it's the governor's ball and somebody like, you know, somebody's out to poison somebody's other drink someone's drink or whatever the case may be or the pcs it's a heist game or something like that i think in a localized vault or governor's mansion or whatever i think a mapper could be useful in in that context to denote like what area things are in when people have moved to certain parts what they're doing like is that the same thing or did i just invent a different role no, I think, I mean, like, that's just con- like expanding what a map can be. A map is not just a drawing of a dungeon. A map is a map of relationships. A mm-hmm. map is a map of time. Um, like a timeline is a map. Uh, I see. And yeah, that could be really helpful. Uh, what is a good game that I've seen this in? Um, Knights Black Agents. Okay. Uh, Never heard of it. Okay. Uh, have you heard of the gum? <laughs> have you heard of the gum? Why don't you just obsessively collect RPG books? <laughs> because we can't have the same thing on the podcast. Otherwise, we'd be the same person. Fine. Fine. 
Uh, I'll build the gestalt later. All right. So um, are you familiar with the gumshoe system? I am familiar that it exists, but I am not familiar with a lot of how it works. Okay. High level overview of the gumshoe system. It is a system designed to do investigations. And the premise of that mechanically is that you always find the clue. Okay. What the clue is connected to, what more information is, that's where dice get in. And then, and then you have like a set of attributes that you burn to make those rolls to get that additional information about the clue. But you always find the clue. Uh, it was designed in response to Call of Cthulhu being a percentile-based investigation system where somebody fails the role and they don't find the clue, which may not as be as much of a problem as people say it is. I've never played Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Knight's Black Agents is the, it uses the gumshoe system, but it's basically you are a Jason Bourne style secret agent who has been burned by your agency because you have discovered the terrible truth that vampires are real and <laughs> and running the world and so you and a bunch of other burned agents in the shadowy underworld of europe are trying to take down the vampiric conspiracy while running from your former agencies as you do yeah and so it has a thing called the conspiramid okay which is i a like map this word of a can it's yeah and it's pyramid shaped so you've got like the local tier and then the city level tier and they get smaller and they point up to the top and so mechanically in that game, uh, when you are making like rolls or spending your traits to get more information, if you discover the connection in the conspiracy conspiramid, how that's mapped out, you get a mechanical bonus to the okay. role when, you know, investigating from one to another. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's just, it's a really cool idea, I think, to map a conspiracy. Yeah, that is a great idea. Wow. Okay. So I could see a number of uses for a mapper, you know, now that we just expanded what it means to be a map. Yep. You know, what about the caller? Having a unified voice for the party, you know, you got four or five people staring back at you on Zoom and nobody knows what to say or do. And Maybe one person understands that in those weird dry moments, it's their job to propel the game forward and put a plan together. And yeah, the rest of the players could challenge that plan if they want to, but they're not going to. We've all been there. We've all been in groups where, you know, you're tired, you've had a long week, or maybe you're just not into it, or, you know, maybe the game, you know, is confusing you, or maybe you should have had a scribe. I don't know, but We've all had those moments where the GM is like, what do you guys want to do? And everybody's kind of just staring back at them being like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I got nothing. Would it help to have like a designated caller? Like for your Age of Sigmar game, for instance, could we implement each one of these roles into that game? Would it help to have a designated leader who's like, I am going to come up with a plan of action and anybody can challenge me on it, but my job is to move this forward. Yeah, I think that would help. I don't know if that's necessarily the caller, though, because at least the way it was originally written, because the caller is then, you know, a turn in dungeon exploration, the way rules as written for the caller, a turn Mm -hmm. is 10 minutes. And Mm -hmm. in that 10 minutes, each party member is going to do something different. Like they're not 
standing around. So the rogue's going to sneak down the hallway to the right. The elf's going to open the door in front, and everybody the caller needs to get those and report it back to the DM, who then narrates what happens. And then mm-hmm. leads to splitting the party. Um, I think an official party leader for the soul binding uh, mm-hmm. would be very helpful in this game, but I don't know that it needs to be a caller. I think a caller in that sense is really only useful if you have like eight or nine players. Okay, so more. maybe we're modifying caller to be a leader. Yeah. Okay. Because the caller, the caller is a player role, not a character role. And that's, I mean, all of these are player roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I guess I see the leader role being a player character role in the sense of, I don't know, sometimes I just feel like I need help, you know, as a GM. Yeah. Or sometimes as a GM, when I play uh, in other games, sometimes I I have to hold back on like wanting to take the spotlight or stepping on other people's toes or helping out to a certain extent. And I'm, I, I guess I just envisioned the leader, this new leader role as more of like a, a DM assistant or a team captain, so to speak, like, you know, on a hockey team, they got the coach, they got the captain, they got the assistant captain. The captain's just a player on the team, right? He's, he's the, he is this satellite point of leadership from the coach on the ice. So I'm wondering if that would be helpful. That could be. Okay. I'm not again it. I think a game where we specifically stated from the start, I would love to see a game with the new gen of players. Like you said, like in your group with people who they're proper nerds, but they didn't come up in an environment where they needed to do mapping. I wonder what would happen if we put a game in front of them and said, you will need the following things, a caller, mapper, quartermaster, and scribe. Right. Cause I mean, the quartermaster, did we talk about that one yet? The quartermaster is the group inventory taker. Right? Yeah. Like they record the treasure. Yeah. And it's not, you know, it's not a super important thing, but it also, I, I mean, is there a point to this? I mean, I think this is just a mode of efficiency for the game. Right. Like, yeah. And so I, th- I I'm not saying it isn't useful, but there's not much to it. Like the quartermaster should know what everybody has on them and keeps track of the treasure. And then is that should like, this is kind of where I deviate from this idea because I'm the firm believer that if my character knows they're going into a dungeon, why wouldn't they take fucking torches with them? Right. So I'm not super into penalizing a group who, you know, Oh shit. I didn't bring torches. You know, like you were talking about that earlier when the daylight spell ends. Is that a, is that a situation where somebody should have gotten more torches? Yeah, but I think that's a mistake they make once. Mm. Gotcha. And, and then once they make that mistake, that's the thing they're paying attention to now. That's right. another actually immersive element in the game of like how much time, how much light do we have left? Mm-hmm. It also works a lot better, I think, in older school games where not every character has dark vision. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, did I tell you about uh, the the way they do that in Black Hack? No. How do they do okay. that in Black Hack? Okay. So Black Hack is an OSR 
uh, style system that's basically a hack of basic. But for torches and ammo, they do a thing called a scarcity die. Mm. It's uh, they also uh, there's someone made a hack of dark sun for it that I thought was great just because of the scarcity die. And so right. it works like this. Say you're a ranger and you're in you're a marksman ranger, right? You have a D6 for your arrows. And at the end of a combat or after you fire an arrow, you roll your scarcity die. If it rolls a one, it steps down to a D4. Interesting. When you go back to town and buy more arrows, it might step up to a D8. But when you roll a one on your D4, you're out. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to track the finite measure. You can see it ticking down. Uh, mm -hmm. And it makes it interesting, but they do the same thing for, uh, for torches. A torch has a scarcity die. Mm -hmm. And so after a certain exploration turns, you roll your torch scarcity die to see if your torch gutters in the gathering darkness. And I just think that's cool. That's brilliant because yes, my character would take torches to a dungeon, but how does my character know how many torches to take? You play an old school game, you hire a torchbearer. You hire <laughs> yeah. some dude at the inn, you know, like the DM <laughs> gets to make a, a funny idiot NPC and his mm -hmm. job is to stand there with a the torch. Mm -hmm. Of course he is. Yeah. <laughs> so um, a really cool way I saw that, by the way, that uh, scarcity eye system hacked is someone made a Cthulhu hack of the black hack where oh, wow. it's the Cthulhu investigation. And so your resources are smokes for social encounters and <laughs> flashlights for poking around in the files or in the library, but it works the same way. Oh, wow. When you run out, your investigation by that means is over. That's brilliant. What I thought you were going to say, um, before you just explained it was that the scarcity dice was going to be used for sanity. Oh, <laughs> That's better. <laughs> but could, could you, can you also, that? I mean, like, like, how do you make, like, that's the thing that I loved when I saw the Dark Sun hack of this is how do you make the water thing meaningful without people record how many liters they're carrying? And I'm like, mm. oh, that. <laughs> that totally. does it. God, I love Dark Sun. All right. Well, do we have anything else to say about our four roles? Are there any other roles? I mean, those are the ones that we used in my old second edition game, second edition, second edition. So I don't know what else there would be. Well, you second edition. Um... <laughs> can you think of, can you think of any other roles? Uh, second edition. Um, no, I mean, I think I think that's it. I think if you had a takeaway, all right, listener at home, if you had a takeaway from this conversation, one, hey, try that scarcity die mechanic if you want oh something God, to be yeah. scarce and your player's paying attention to it because it's better than like recording the pounds of coins they're carrying or whatever. Um, but yeah, give those rolls a try. Uh, if you want a little bit of an older school vibe or if you just, you know, want to set a tone and be like, hey, you know, we we're we're collaborating on the story. I need you to collaborate on running the game as well. Mm -hmm. Could you use a scarcity die for money? Yeah, I mean, the resource, it's not the scarcity die, but the resource system in like White Wolf games mm -hmm. 
So every trait in White Wolf is a number of dots, typically from one to five. Uh, that's vampire, werewolf, exalted, whatever. Um, and so basically, if something costs, if something costs resources three and you have resources four, it is not a trouble to purchase it. You can sort of mm -hmm. buy that all day because it's exponential in scale. But if something is resources four, then you might step down your resources temporarily until you can earn more. But it's not a die mechanic. Could you then also use resources for like magic spells? Like a resource die for magic spells? Oh, that would be really interesting. Like you cast a certain level of spell and then that demands a certain number of rolls on the scarcity die for magic. So yeah. lower spells, like a, like with the equivalent of like a D23.50 level spell cantrip or a first level spell, those are like like a zero level spell is like no rolls, right? And like a first level spell is one roll, right? And then maybe you roll a number of times per the level of the spell, and then you just make sure it doesn't get ridiculous past like five or six rolls, right? Or you just have a scarcity based on kind of going off spell slots. You have a scarcity die for each level of spell. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's even better. Yeah. I like it's that a little bit better. more to track, but you know, like instead of like you can cast four first level spells, like your scarcity die is a D six. Your scarcity mm -hmm. die for second level spells is a D four. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a D 20 modern has a wealth bonus system that I always I always used to look at that and be like, can you, can I use this for magic spells? <laughs> like, can I make them, you know, I think I tried to do this once and it didn't work. It just took too much time. But the idea was if in the 3.5 player's handbook, there is pricing for spell level according to scroll. So then we know what the cost is per spell. And then to use the wealth bonus mechanic from D20 modern, then you would essentially purchase your spells was the idea. But then when I think when we actually tested it out once, it just took way too long. Yeah. That's the scarcity die simplifies it to the point mm -hmm. of being almost an abstraction. And that's why it's great. Brilliant. All right. Well, listeners, if you can think of some interesting roles that you would think would work out in a D&D &D game or a other role-playing game, um, let us know we're always looking for creative questions for curious gamers. So if you have that in mind, Jesse, how can they get in touch with us? Well, we have an email address now. Oh, yes. It's jaunty, the jaunty mantis at gmail.com. Oh, is it the jaunty mantis or jaunty mantis? <laughs> Just send it to both. Yeah. It'll, you know, either the, it'll either, it'll get to us somehow. Yeah. We're also on threads as jaunty mantis. Uh, and we are on uh, X. God, it hurts me. It hurts me to say <laughs> that we are on X as the Wanty Mantis. Mm. Um, and I I peek at all those things semi regularly. So those are great ways to get a hold of us. For sure. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of the Jaunty Mantis for Maddie and Jesse. Get out there and play some fucking role-playing games yeah go go play some fucking games throw yeah. some scarcity dice 
Yeah, scarcity that is fucking role playing games. <laughs>